Hi, welcome to Sweetman Podcast. This is Simon Sweetman and this is episode 53, brought to you as always by Phantom Bill Stickers and with our sponsors, The Tea Leaf, Lafare and Yeastie Boys helping out as well. This is me having a chat with Anthony Tonnen. He's a musician, grew up in the South Island, based now in Auckland. Um, I caught up with him at the end of last year when he was playing a show in Wellington and uh, sort of got him in between projects, which I quite like. So he doesn't have a new album to, to push. Uh, he didn't even have, in fact, it was the end of his tour too, so he didn't even really have shows to push. And he's sort of in the middle of a writing recording period now for a new album that will surface later this year. Um, but he's done a lot of stuff, and I've been on board with his music since, well, early on. I wouldn't say, I don't want to suggest that I was um, there at the very start, because I think he'd recorded a couple of EPs before I got to his music, but he used to record music under the name Tono and the Finance Company. That was a very much a band, but he was the singer-songwriter. Um, and then he put out a fantastic solo album called Successor uh, under the name Anthony Tonnen, and so now he records and performs I think primarily as a solo artist uh, occasionally with band members and behind him as well but it's his muse and uh, he's done some pretty interesting things for uh, for a guy young into his career he has uh, toured America and Europe he's also toured uh, been a tour manager for Nadia Reid a previous guest on the podcast so we talk a bit about that um, him being involved in that capacity um, and he had quite an interesting sort of approach to music like quite often you t- I don't want to spoil too much here but quite often you talk to people about who their influences are and who they you know gr- grew up trying to emulate and, um, and he was a bit of a late bloomer to music and, and, and perhaps approached it a little bit more academically than some people do and I found that I found that really inspiring and really interesting. So, um, I'm, as I've said, I'm a big fan of his music, so I wanted to talk to him anyway, but I got a lot out of this conversation, and I hope you do too. This is me talking with Anthony Tonnen. Well, maybe we'll start with um, uh, last night. How did last night go for you? Because I, I thought it was a pretty good gig. Oh, cool, cool. Um, How did you feel about it? It was great. Uh, I, I mean, it was a, a great little, um, very responsive crowd. Mm. Um, it was people were moving a little bit more than than I usually have at gigs. It was it was kind of a Friday night yeah. kind of show. Um, it's with the new set that I've been working on. Uh, it's uh, quite electronic. Um, there's a lot of sort of uh, beats and things mm. in there, and there's a lot of uh, dancing and things. Um, I've been. I haven't done that many uh, headline shows mm. with it. Um, so I, I did do a bunch in the US um, a couple months ago. But I was f- finding in those environments, maybe I was often playing Thursdays or something, that I'd start with something kind of all out mm. for a little while, and then I'd kind of delve into a kind of slower um, guitar solo guitar based thing for a little while which has its own kind of and then coming out of the arc again yeah yeah I think yeah uh, Friday night was hard to it was a little bit hard to read where where things should go but you were pretty good at um, pulling that crowd in because you know everyone's typical um, nothing nothing new at all to anyone who's been to a gig in New Zealand but everyone's standing back you know like not wanting to get too close not wanting to be the one that's picked on or whatever you know or targeted mm. and you managed to kind of work everyone yeah in, and then and then everyone was like yeah cool we actually are into this i don't know why we were standing back and <laughs> yeah. then the, the movement kind of happened but you also had that thing where you you honored requests 
which yeah. you're probably going to do anyway or whatever, but maybe yeah. not, maybe not all of them and maybe not in that order. You made it feel like you were completely responsive to the audience. Oh, that's good. But at the same time, and then, therefore they became completely responsive to you. Yeah. You know, I thought you... Uh, which is wasn't a surprise to me because I've watched you play a few times and I've always thought that you've got a really good grasp of um, stage craft, stage, right. you know, performance. And when we left the show, Katie said to me... Um, I don't remember him being that good at doing that. Like I like, you know, I like the music, but I didn't realise he was. And I said, well, you know, it's been a couple of years since mm. you've seen him play, and um, you know, I think he's done a lot of work overseas too. Um, so, can you talk a little bit about um, maybe how you've, how you feel your performance has evolved, and how you, yeah. ha- how you've come at it as a performer? Yeah. Well, I guess like um, Katie was probably. Uh, referring to maybe like a couple of years ago at puppies or something mm, and mm. um so since then i, I just well I st- you weren't exactly reserved by the way no like, no I no you leaping out into the crowd and stuff yeah. like that you know it wasn't like you were wall, yeah. wallflower <laughs> no totally um i i guess it evolved because i started doing solo touring overseas and solo touring was the only option because mm. because of the price tag financially flights. yeah yeah, yeah. Um, travel and um and I did, I did this tour in the states of, of sort of thirty shows in a row, um, and what um, I would have to find ways because the thing that I really notice is that um, you know, like you get a band like The Clean, um, and they can draw people in without ever saying a word to mm, them because mm. because and it's about communication you've got three people on stage communicating with each other and that's and it's like a dynamo that creates this they, electromagnet they summon an aura don't they exactly like they yeah. ha- they, i mean they have a um a, a legend about them by mm. the stage too but they they actually conjure that myth and that aura as soon as they st- yeah lock in and create start creating whatever music they make yeah there's something pretty elemental about them um that 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 you see straight away but what i realized in doing solo shows was that i i don't have anybody to communicate with on stage so i need to create that communication Mm. somewhere else so Mm. that's when i started getting interested in um audience participation so on that tour i started um just doing some little what I would call like interventions. Like last night, I <laughs> mm. think I made an imaginary rope. And yeah, to pull, pull everyone pull, in. Pulled everyone yeah, in. Yeah. And it's, it's a silly little gesture, but... But fuck, it works. Because yeah. actually, like, I think, like, maybe, and maybe I'm being disingenuous mm. here, but I actually think probably only about a quarter of the people there mm. recognised what was happening at the time. The rest just went with it. Yeah, yeah. And then suddenly they were pulled right up to the front of the stage yeah. by this imaginary rope and went, yeah. oh, well, that's cool. We thought we were just participating in a silly game. And yeah. now here we are. Yeah. You know? Well, you need to break... <laughs> it would seem like the most simple ruse, but yeah. but that's that belief in that totally. moment. Yeah. And, well, you, and, you, and I realised with things like that or with getting people to sing along, you, you have to be... Um, you have to be a little bit of a dictator with it. You can't go halfway and go, um, oh, come a bit closer if you feel like it. Mm. That's always, <laughs> those are the words that I always cringe hearing at a, at a show, is mm. if you feel like it, uh, you, then you've just completely cancelled mm. the command. Yeah, I think, again, <laughs> don't give um, don't give New Zealanders the option to, 
you know, to, to sit back because they'll yeah. take, they're all, that's the default setting. Yeah. <laughs> so don't say, well, oh, you can't be bothered. Yeah. We're sort of all bored thing, that way. Yeah. What's well, funny because, I mean, I just did these three shows with the Veils um, as a tangent, mm. but uh, four shows, three shows in the States and in, and um, LA, San Francisco, and Seattle, the crowd was always standing at, at the stage before I went on. Right. And then we got to Vancouver and there was the semicircle of <laughs> the death. Big, yeah, yeah. So it's a, it's a commonwealth. Yeah, yeah, thing, exactly. Well, that, that makes sense. Um, what are the veils sounding like these days? Because they're an intense, well, have been an intense life band. Yeah, yeah. They are still very intense. In fact, um, more so. I mean, and the new album really suits that as well. Right, yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's great. They're a really elegant, um, wonderful band. I've only, I've only listened to that new album a couple of times. I really haven't got my head around it, but mm. I have seen them play a couple of times over the years. And yeah. then um, P Solo uh, was the highlight of a, of a David Bowie tribute earlier, earlier oh. this year. I didn't actually think the, the tribute overall was up to much, but right. just the way he kind of I guess because you know he was able to tap into what he does in the Vales performance the way he mm. kind of sat at the piano and drew right in with, yeah. a, with a more stripped back thing rather than a pantomime tribute sort yeah. of approach which some of the others did right yeah he was really able to kind of pull and so I enjoyed that that's great yeah yeah I mean they were they were fantastic um, and uh, I mean coming back to what I was saying like uh I guess between where I where I started in the states and doing these solo shows, and then where, what I was doing with the the veils, I guess the first layer I added was audience participation, but then mm. I was also adding um, pedals. Um, I was trying to get some, trying to create some sonic world. Yeah. But then two years of solo touring later, and then trying to work on new songs, I I, I kind of got to this place like sometimes like my drummer said to me once he said, said it looks really stupid when you bend down and adjust your and adjust your delay pedal for every song mm. it's really um, unflattering for the performer to mm. to crouch mm. down mm. Um, and so I put my pedals on top of the keyboard instead of yeah instead of on right the and plain view and yeah, yeah so yeah. I'm, I'm at standing standing yeah. high and um, and that was so revolutionary to me because that led to me then putting a um getting an 808 app and sticking that on the keyboard too mm. and um and, I, and then i got this uh i got interested in um the music electronics library which is a which is run by the audio foundation in auckland and they teach you how to make pedals and things mm, and mm. i borrowed a um uh what's called a matrix mixer from them and um, I asked it and it was and it just completely changed everything because it meant that I could put all my gear through um, basically through like a telephone exchange yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that would allow me to send everything to different places and it, and it allowed me to play I, I eventually found a way you know just slightly that I could see some way that I could play music with drum beats and things that felt organic to me mm. that felt like it would still be a way that I was playing the music in just as fragile or temporary a way that I'd be playing a guitar 
you've brought the pedals into the performance. They that yeah. like you're like them. It's sort of like a mad scientist thing, you know. Yeah. Like it's a bit like you know. I mean, there were several elements to your show last night that made me think of that classic Talking Heads film. Oh, cool! Yeah. You know the 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 the, the dance moves being silhouetted and things like that just made, made me sort of think of some of David Burns things but also the next thing when you're twisting these pedals it, it was a bit like Bernie Worrell who plays keyboards in that film you know oh, cool. who's, yeah, who's, yeah. who's you know, played in Parliament and Funkadelic and all that sort of stuff too yeah. he, he was part of that Talking Heads band and, and the way he would actually make essentially an adjustment to his sound part of the sound and part of the performance yeah so yeah you've got all that going on yeah it's, it's, it's so it's funny like it, you end you, you it was it, I never would have thought that I, I'd end up where I got yeah but if you change one thing at a time yeah just these incremental yeah then you never know where you're going to yeah. end up so what I've gotten to now and that what I took on tour with the veils is this sort of show where um, where I'll have a, I'll be able to play drum beats I'll be able to play keyboard I'll be able to free my hands up a little bit to do some dancing yep. because I feel like sometimes because sometimes I'm using like a turntable application and just playing a sample yeah um, and but I use dance now um, because I found that when you're doing something electronic um, and essentially all you have to do is press button yeah um, you, you need to it doesn't feel real if you just stand there and press the button and nod yeah. your head. You've got to express it physically. We sort of move through that phase where, you know, people used to think, oh, what's he doing up there? Is he just checking his emails? And, yeah. and, if, and you know, yeah. about DJs and, and yeah, yeah. All, all sorts of electronic sort of artists. And if you do something, if you yeah. convey the music in some way, mm. which you're doing, um, not only is that important and, and, and probably fun and joyful for you and your audience but but it it doesn't give people time to think something like that either. yeah yeah you know? yeah not that that's the most pressing concern but no. you know what i mean like it it, it, yeah. it it takes people away from yeah they're not being tricked they're not wondering well what's actually going on here could anyone do that they're actually just going well i'm watching this person do this yeah and that's what i like about this you know yeah 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 exactly you keep you maintain the world and by yeah. doing physical things and it's actually a great gift with um electronic elements in music mm. that it frees your hands to to do a dance or, mm. to, or to ex use another layer of expression for the music that having your hands locked to a keyboard stops you from doing or, or the guitars you, you know and I do in the set also just play solo guitar songs and that's the hardest it's really hard to free your hands from the guitar you need mm. both hands on the guitar at all times yeah 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 um, but uh, and another another funny evolution thing I was watching um, the Don McGlashan um, three-piece show that he, he did for um, his last album oh yeah, yeah and I was talking to Chris O'Connor yeah and he had a little organ with him and yes. his drum kit yeah 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 and, I um, that show. and he would tape down a key yes and have ah, it as a drone note yeah from? yeah so and, and cool. I was like yeah. yeah and so now I've got this thing in my set mm, <laughs> mm. and I used to hide it but now I've just made it a, a, part of the performance, of the performance exactly. that I pull out a I piece of was, tape and tape I thought that was keys. really cool but I didn't actually make that connection <laughs> that, that it had come from there but when you bring that up I remember Chris doing that thinking that was cool in the context of his performance I mean he's yeah He's a great person, I would imagine, to talk to for exactly that. Like, he's a guy who, mm. um, 
you know, is uh, obviously a fantastic musician and an amazing drummer, but he he has that thing about him that he's learnt to put across what he does as as its own performance. Yeah. You know, there's a performance element to mm. to what just to watching him, let alone to yeah. listening to him. He evolves and he thinks deeply and he mm. <coughs> researches and he's always looking for new mm. <coughs> new found elements, materials new, exactly, and things. Yeah, yeah. New things to add. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um so well, I don't know. Maybe we should maybe we should go back and sort of work out how you came to this. Maybe we should go all the way back because uh, I've talked to you before on the phone. We had a good chat. Um, well, it was probably nearly two years ago. It was probably at the start of yeah. 2015. Or yeah. So, yeah. Um, when when the record came, when the last record came out. Mm. But but remind me a little bit about um, where you started and how you started. So you grew up in Dunedin. Yeah. 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 And when did when did music well I into sort of your, into your life? <clears throat> well, I sort of came in quite late, and um, you know, I, I have never been one of those people that was like super talented or anything. Um, uh, 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 <clears throat> I, I was, and and I never thought I was going to be a musician. I just I didn't know what I wanted to do in life. I was pretty good at history. I was pretty bookish. Um, and I went to uni and did a history degree, but at some point, as I was getting ready to do a history degree, I, I um, some friends of mine were starting a metal band or something, and uh, I, I just um, coincidentally kind of picked up a guitar, because everybody was learning guitar. Mm. And, um, I had studied piano as a kid. I always did piano lessons, but I um, hated it. I didn't understand it. I was made to do really rote yeah. um, classical piano. But you had some sort of foundation from it. Had, had some, I guess, but it was it was because I never learnt theory, and I mm. never well uh, the way that they teach theory through Trinity exams um, is very rote. Like the idea of theory is quite often take the sequence of notes and write it out six times in different positions. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you don't. Whereas I've got this book um, from the Mosgiel Library. Um, probably one of the most important books that I've gotten and it had all the chords um, on the guitar but it had them in order of keys so yeah. it ordered them so it said this is the key of C and here are all the all seven mm. you know kind of standard chords in C mm. um, and suddenly I understood theory everything that I've been doing on piano suddenly made sense yeah, yeah. through the lens of block chords on yeah. the guitar and that combined with I got the best of Bowie um, two CD yeah. set, and yeah. um, which is an education. Yeah, and I, yeah. I I just started learning those. Yeah. And after that, I wanted to write songs, and it's just it's always been the desire to write songs has always been the thing that, that's driven me into the music, and and I I could right away just see that <clears throat> it was the only thing that I felt really passionate about. I mean, I love. I love history, but I couldn't. I could never see myself. I mean, even if there was such a job as, as writing history essays, yeah. you know, I couldn't see myself wanting to get up in the morning and do that. Mm -mm. Um, and so, uh, I mean, I was pretty late. Like, I mean, that was probably seventeen or something. And mm. um, I studied music. At, um, I added music to my my degree, so did a conjoint thing and. Um, 
But, you know, you're sort of stumbling around by trial and error in Dunedin, especially in that era, because it was in some ways a, a really hard era because it's the shadow of the Dunedin sound. Yeah, I was just going to say, is there a bit of a weight of, you know, Oh, around yeah, the there? golden handcuffs yeah. and, you yeah. know, I mean, the people down there now who, I think the scene's kind of quite good again now, but yeah. they, they hate it when you mention yes, of course. Um, the Dunedin sound thing. And, um, and I hadn't even listened to The thing that people don't realise about people who actually grew up in Dunedin is that all those cool people that lived there in the 80s and early 90s mm. and were part of the Flying Nun audience and community, um, they didn't stay in Dunedin. No, I was going to say, with one or two exceptions, they disappeared yeah, pretty, they, pretty they, quickly. Yeah. And they became the hip parents in yeah, Wellington yeah, yeah, and Auckland yeah. who raised these, <laughs> these children that I started yeah. meeting when I left Dunedin, <laughs> these these kids that were my age, mm. who had grown up with the Flying Nun box set, or mm. like, you know, um, with submarine bells or something, mm. and they had this vast knowledge of Flying Nun, and I just, didn't, I didn't even know any of it. I listened mm. to Phil Collins and Vanessa May and whatever yeah. my parents were <laughs> listening to when I was a kid, you know. Um, did you have a, well on that, did you have a sort of, um, a guilty pleasure aspect to what you listened or a shame about anything that you listened to or were you quite musically omnivorous? I was pretty omnivorous and I mean I went through a big solid gold um, stage as a teenager and just mm. and just listened to um, you know, 50s and 60s music for a long time and um, but I was pretty you know I was pretty I guess I was raised on mainstream radio really mm. like I, I you know when I was 14 I was um and no shame in that. Like people seem yeah. to, there's you know the 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 classic. I don't know what it is. Whether it's the classic rock interview or something yeah. that that has these people telling you that they were listening to Miles Davis, Bitches Brew, and you know yeah. Beach Boys, Pet Sounds, and stuff, and whether yeah. that's made people aspire to that or not. But yeah. what's wrong with listening to the fucking radio? Like if yeah. if, if that's what you do, like, yeah, and yeah. If, that, if that's who you are, like. Yeah, I mean, I got a little bit of an education when I went to uni, and you start meeting these yeah. people that have um, sophisticated music taste, and you know, I became obsessed with pavement, and um, and and you know, got got to know and love a lot of the Flying Nun. Stuff. Well, but then you but, start to see that as like a reaction to like the commercial radio station and stuff. So yeah, you get to understand it as exactly, being, yeah. you know, like like punk when that came in you get to sort of understand it as it's it's almost worth knowing the stuff that came first for yeah. that reason yeah absolutely yeah. Um, I guess and I'm back in a quite an omnivorous phase with music now but I guess I went through what a lot of people go through had strong developed strong principles that this was good music and this was mm. bad music and um, well something that kind of crystallised for me actually watching you play last night a few conversations I've had this week and and a bit of think and, and in recent weeks and um, for the podcast and then just outside of that has been like a kind of um, a realisation and maybe it's just me being fucking typically slow but um, like it's nice to think of a sort of death of virtuosity and uh, you mm. know like and the openness of um, being able to create rather than adhere to like mm. um, <clears throat> Nadia Reid left here and I'm sure she won't mind me saying this because this has been really profound for me. Um, we were talking about interviews after I interviewed her, I guess. And yeah. um, 
and we were talking about how they can be difficult and I said they can be you know you can have a bad interview from either end like you can yeah. feel like you fucked it up or you can feel like mm. and I'm sure the person on the other end feels the same way like yeah, you can true. leave an interview and go oh I didn't do my best then yeah. or the person talking to me didn't do their best we were talking about that and I said you know mostly they've gone okay for me I think recently and probably the last really bad one for me was talking to Don McLean and she said who? And I said, oh, you know, um, you know, he wrote American Pie. And she said, no. Yeah, yeah. No, what's that kind of thing? And and I reckon a few years ago, like, I, I wouldn't have, like, had the urge to mock her, but I would have just been like, wow, that's weird you don't know that. Yeah. But I was blown away, and I, I was very envious of her. I thought, how yeah. wonderful to grow up without the fucking baggage of that song and who, <laughs> and who that bozo is. Yeah. Because, like, I played in a covers band for years and played that song probably more times than he fucking ever had to. <laughs> and and it, it haunts me in some sense. And what it's like collecting useless information. Why do I need to know about fucking American Pie? You know, yeah, why do I need to know exactly. about Don McLean? And how free it seems now that mm. you could also be... 15 or 20 or 30 or whatever now and know about American Pie that's fine yeah. but you could also be those ages and it just why wouldn't it be completely oblivious to you yeah. and where where I think I'm going with that is part of what crystallised that for me watching you was you do some quite deft interesting things on the guitar I think you've got quite a you know you've not just the pedal stuff but you've got this really interesting way of playing electric guitar as a finger picker right and uh and so you've got some clever things going on but then you're quite happy to just tape down one note of a keyboard yeah and, and have that ringing <laughs> out and then watching watching your hands on the keyboard sometimes you're just totally vamping it it's a, a completely rhythmic thing yeah 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 uh and it's i would say quite rudimentary yeah yeah, yeah. and then other times you'll color that with something that's a nice surprise and i just think well I know people have been doing this for, for ages with music, but do you know what I'm getting at? It's just a nice. It's nice to think that maybe it's just been my weird expectation that yeah. it's just in, in the era that I grew up in and the way that I've processed music. I mean, I've God, I I I, I love shitty unconventional music just as much as I do the most virtuosic. Yeah, I just feel like it's nice to think that um, it's very realistic now to not think that a, a song has to be shaped on a guitar or a piano it can come from yeah you know beats and samples and, and it can mean as much to people as you watch people in the audience it means as much to them as you know some Beatles tribute or something you know so, yeah, yeah absolutely yeah it doesn't have to feel like um George Martin could listen to it and score, that's right. and that's, score it that's it to, that's to exactly, music yeah. quickly you know yeah that's it and then yet there are still there, there are also these people that young people making phenomenal music that that does adhere to all of that and that yeah. that's also very clever too you know yeah. and that's very profound but yeah it's a very it's, it is a very open time and I, I think that um, the consequence of there being so so many musicians is that we've got the best music we've ever had you yeah know? and and it's so diverse and it's so broad um, it's it's really amazing what people are, are coming up with and I, I do like also that it feels like feels like maybe the um uh we're not moving through genres yeah. as tightly as we used to it, yeah. it's like it genre nice... revivals are happening yeah kind of in different directions simultaneously yeah there's a lot of nice blurring going on you know yeah. there's a lot of uh, i think i think 
there's a lot of people who see themselves now as, or maybe that's the death of retail too, like the, yeah. the genre mm. is arguably a, a, a marketing pigeonhole, isn't it? It's, mm. you know, yeah. it can be a, it can be an ethos, it can be a state of mind, you know, yeah. obviously things like heavy metal and hip hop are classic defined areas that, yeah. you know, are subcultures. Yeah. But um, I think a lot of genres are retail purposed, you know, about, <laughs> yeah, sa- yeah. about shifting units. Yeah. People are less concerned with that now. Yes. Um, so okay, so when does so when do you get some action happening music-wise? You put out an EP as Toto and the Finance Company. Yep. In what? Two thousand and eight. Yep. Yep. And I think I hear that one. It's a and then you do. Another one a year or so later? Yeah, um, yeah, two th- in early 2010 we released it, yeah, and that, I mean, um, and I still ha- I still sell that, like I still yeah. have copies of that, and, yeah. and, you still and play I, li- I like that album, you yeah. You still play stuff from it? Yeah, well, I, I played something last yeah, night. Yeah, um, yeah a little Ray Columbus tribute. Yeah, well, <laughs> that song, Barry, Barry Smith of Hamilton, yes. since Ray Columbus and yeah. Paul Holmes, yeah. both of whom were alive when the song was written. Mm, mm. Um, yeah, um, <laughs> but uh, I, during the process of fragile thing, I moved to Auckland. I sort of finished finished the record down in Dunedin, and then um, moved to Auckland. And um, that's what I I hadn't I didn't have a cover yet, and I kind of my first friends were sort of involved in the the Elam art scene yeah. around Auckland. The people that hang out on K Road. Art gallery openings for the free beer. Yeah, yeah and yeah. Um, <clears throat> through meeting those people, I had got this really great cover, um, and and it sort of helped me put down, you know, coming to Auckland with something unfinished helped me put, yeah. put down roots in that city. Yeah, um, and um, yeah, I remember thinking this is a because it's a, an EP, but it's like. Ugh. I remember thinking that more thoughts gone into this cover for an EP than maybe just about any EP that I've ever seen. Like <laughs> yeah. it, it, it's the not many people create their artwork around a CD. Like they save the artwork for the yeah, vinyl yeah. version, but yeah. you had actually created a CD specific piece of artwork that was artwork. Yeah, yeah. And it was a good time to do that. Too. Yeah, it was probably the last, the last chance, last, last chance. Yeah. <laughs> So this is a band, this is a three-piece band, Yeah. and then what happened when you moved to Auckland, it's still a band, or this is... The yeah, well then, then um, well, we, we had to do some personnel changes, um, because because I was the only one that moved, and, yeah. um, gradually and it's, just... It's uh, your vision, I mean, they're your yeah. songs, so yeah. much as it's a band, it's a yeah. band supporting your songs, so you get to be that Steve Garley and say, yeah. type for a new band. Well, well everybody... People often come back in to mm. line up, you know, if they mm. move to the North Island or whatever. And, <laughs> yeah. You know, and a lot of people have been through that Tono and the Finance Company band and call them like the Chesley, call them ring bearers of yeah. the Finance Company, you know. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, kind of, in the, the, for the album that we released in 2012, it became a five piece. Um, and, it be, and that was, it was a really fragile thing was kind of a, um, a, a kind of I see it as a monochromatic it was kind of dark it was kind of um, it had sort of one colour to it for me yeah. um, and um, 
it's just almost in a similar way to what successor ended up being but um, up here for dancing um, I went back to what I love you know and I do love the Beatles and it's, it's really a pop album yeah and, yeah. Um, and, there, and there were a lot of there's a lot of wit and there's a lot of humour and but a, lot, but a lot more colour of the music. Right? And the music, yeah. yeah. So it really yeah. suited a five piece. We yeah. had um, Mimsy Cable on keyboards, and yeah. um, we had uh, Hayden um, East who played in Morris Arabia playing yeah. his kind of Hofner bass that yeah. he plays with. He's got quite a um, specific kind of yeah. style. So the live band, and then and that's when I. Um, that's when I first started experimenting because I realised that I, you know, even with the three piece, we had our moments, but we're always constrained by the fact that I'm not a very good guitar player, or especially wasn't then, and um, especially like not the best singer, especially when I have to do something else. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, um, and it was partially that, and it was partially that I was fucking broke yeah um i had to sell when i moved to auckland i ended up selling my guitar mm. which i'd left in dunedin and selling my amp uh, and these are not good ideas for so, someone that wants to go out and make music yeah well this is what you can this is what you can do if you if you find yourself moving city and you've got yeah. no musical gear it's easier for you to get a guitarist for your band than it the, is to be, buy a guitar yeah, yeah, yeah. so i got i got this guy jonathan pierce to um to learn my guitar parts and improve them and I started trying to be a, a front person yeah and that was great because I could sing better because I was just concentrating on singing mm. and I had to get in front of the mirror and figure out what the hell I was going to do with my hands mm. for, um, for yeah, 45 say, minutes so this is the the bane of a lot of um, singers slash front people yeah because they get into it usually um, for any reason other than to be like a dancer or yeah. you know, that they, they get into it because they either believe in the shit they're singing or yeah, yeah. are a singer and they that's their showcase. But then they find themselves going, What do I do with my hands? Yeah. <laughs> or what do I do with my legs? So you get in front of the mirror and head go, What do I look like? What do I do? Yeah. What and, and watch um, watch YouTube videos of Yeah, I was gonna say who else whatever. do you study? Like Well, I'm trying to think, um yeah, I think I looked at David Byrne and um David Bowie. Um, one of the things I really noticed is that is that a lot of these great performers do a lot less than you imagine. Yes. Yeah. A lot less than you remember them doing in your head, you know. Yeah. Um, so a lot of the time, you just have to hold the space, whatever space you're inhabiting. If, you've got to just stand there and hold it and not look like you're uncomfortable. I can't remember if it's in that do- if it's in that documentary about Michael Jackson after he died. Is it called? Is this the, the one where right. um, you know he was going to put on all those shows? Mm. And um, I think it's in that doco where they say you know several people talk about how they were considered one of the most influential dancers of the 20th century and all of this, you know. And then someone says, you know, if you actually study him, coming for it's in the doco, if it was someone in a review of the doco, but someone said. If you actually study what he does, his move set is very limited. He's yeah. got like a handful of key things that he does, and he keeps keeps using them. You yeah, know? he's not like like there are obviously better dancers than him. Yeah, but he had these signature moves that yeah. everyone wanted to replicate that became influential. Yeah, and so it's that same thing that he's as a dancer, he's actually was actually quite understated. Yeah, and quite simplistic. Yeah, but 
iconic. Yeah, it's yeah. knowing it's it's just like music, you know. It's knowing when to to keep plugging away on the G mm. chord mm. and knowing when to do the guitar solo, you know. Mm, mm. Um, <laughs> and you can't be doing it all at the same time. You need, yeah. um, and you can uh, communicate effectively using a few key things and, and repeating them mm. in the right place. So when do you get the urge to go overseas with music? Does that happen before Successor? Yeah, yeah, I mean, this is the thing, like, I think this is the tragedy of growing up in New Zealand sometimes, is it just takes so long to get... I mean, I, I just assumed when I was 19 and into music, I just assumed that I'd be able, I'd be able to be playing overseas pretty quickly. Yeah, I'll get it, I'll get That I'd be living all over the world. And, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Then you spend three or four years at uni in Dunedin, and then, yeah. and then you spend a couple of years in Auckland. I'd moved to Auckland thinking it was a stepping stone to get overseas, and, and I still live there. <laughs> you know? yeah. yeah. But um, after that album, when after that album came out, I was pretty ready to to go overseas to try something, and um, I uh, I did a little bit of a. Um, Ricky to to the US and took a look around um, but what's quite because I come from like a pretty I was talking to Mimsy who was playing keyboards in the um, in Tom and the Finance Company at that time and Hayden um, Hayden who played bass uh, at the time they were together and Hayden um, comes from a family who who had travelled a little bit like they'd yeah. gone overseas for holidays and things and I think his um, he had family who worked in uh, with like, international students and things. Mm. So travel wasn't a strange thing for him. So mm. when he when he got asked to go on tour with the Brunettes when he was twenty one years old and go around the world, it was like okay, yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, whereas like for Mimsy and I, we were both we were saying how because we came from families where the biggest holiday you would do would be a drive up the coast, a, a drive up the coast. <laughs> yeah, there's a huge mental block. Yeah. Prev- that makes you know my parents had never made it beyond Sydney yeah um, and so it was a big thing for me to actually just get overseas mm, so mm. by doing a trip um, I kind of broke some sort of barrier for myself and I started planning a tour and um, I ended up um, teaming up with this this lady Shenandoah Davis um, and she I I planned this tour for her in New Zealand and, that's right and she and she booked a similar one in the States yeah and that was great it really um, opened up the world for me and, and she helped me get a visa and stuff like that yeah um, and um, so well, I mean, how did you connect with her did you find her music first or did you find well, her first well time the finance company was sort of touring the album and we were doing that we were kind of writing line we did the Beirut support um, at the time that Shenandoah was um, doing her first tour of New Zealand. Right, right. And we met her at Camp Aloham. Yeah. Um, and really, I really got on with her and with um, her tour manager at the time, Michael, who is the guy who makes my t-shirts. Um, and uh, he, we just sort of kept in touch. And I think, I, and I visited them when I um, first went to the States and I think because I'd been over to the States and hung out with them, they knew that I was actually going to come back. Yeah. Because the thing is that when you start writing these emails, I think that the internet has been, I think it's changing now, but throughout my time 
in the two thousands and um and then early teens. Yeah. Um the internet has been full of a lot of false promises, like this idea that you're suddenly gonna be more connected to the world and that you're not gonna need to um meet people in person anymore to do music mm-hmm. are found to be completely false because when you start sending cold emails to people saying hey it's Anthony I met you in New Zealand um, would you like to do a show I'm going to go to mm. you know America next year you just often just don't get a reply because they don't believe that you're going to actually come it's a really right. long way yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah you know mm. and um and and so those actually going there and mm. um, smelling the pavement Mm. it really makes a difference I think it's changing now like that was my big frustration with with Dunedin in the 2000s it's like we on paper we had the internet yeah we should have been able to do more but the reality was if we couldn't if we weren't in Auckland and and we didn't um, we weren't near media centres and things it was actually really bloody hard to um, for anyone to know that we existed mm. which is why you know like I I guess like my first EP in Dunedin was like was based around a shtick and there's a lot there's a play on like economics and stuff and it's why I had such a weird band name yeah, as yeah, well yeah. to start with so we just needed someone to pay attention to us yeah <laughs> but you know and I, looking back I don't think that they should have paid attention to us but <laughs> um yeah, it's kind of. I always think it's an interest. It was an interesting time because the technology in Dunedin at that time was just was changing. Like in the Flying Nun era, you didn't have the technology, so people recorded things on four tracks and they drew their own cover art, and that turned out to be wonderful. Yeah, because everyone else was because there was only two options. There was draw your artwork yourself or spend thousands of dollars on on designers, photographers, lithography, yeah. <laughs> all those things that used to go into making a cover. Yeah. In the early 2000s we had Photoshop, um, the early, you know, early Photoshop, and suddenly you were able to make your own album cover. Yeah. And, and you were able to make it with the veneer of those professional album covers. <laughs> yeah, you yeah, yeah. And you, you know, what you ended up with was a lot of terrible, terrible <laughs> artwork. Yeah. Because people were sort of, and it's the same. And the same thing happened with early digital recording as well. Mm-hmm. Suddenly, you could have this big reverb, and so you put all the things on. Yeah. Um, and I think we're getting to a, a bit more of a sensible place now with, with the things that computers have disrupted we're realizing that you just because you can do something on a computer doesn't mean that you should. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But yeah. Yeah. So you go and do a show, a few shows in the States. You do this, you do these like kind of, uh, organize these tours for each other. Mm. And what sort of shows are you doing? House parties, opening for people, all sorts of things. Yeah, lots of... Um the U.S. has this really great culture, which we don't have, of, mm. of house shows. Mm. Um, Seeping it a little bit here, starting True. To, yeah, but not a culture. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, um... So that's because of the drinking laws in America, really, isn't it? Is that where it's come from? No, no, it's, it's not even that. Um, well, well, yes, it's not about, um... 
it's not about drinking per se, but it's about no, no, the fact that they can't get into the venues. That's what I mean. So they can't yeah. get into the venues. Yeah. It's not, and it's not that they want to stay home and get nailed, but it's yeah. that they can't go yeah. and see yeah. certain acts that are in venues yeah. for 21 and over. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so you were like... So they bring the party to them. Yeah, I mean, we played a house concert in um, Las Cruces, New Mexico, so like a hundred people yeah. somehow jammed into this house, <laughs> you know. And you know everybody puts in like a few bucks into the mm. the hat, and, and you know you, you make some some money to get by. Um, we played a lot of venues as well, like um, a lot of divey bars. Yeah. Generally, it was like you know my home venue has always been the wine cellar. It's the first place I played in Auckland. Yeah. And generally, um, the, my first tour is in the states, and, and actually a lot of venues I'm still playing. Uh, it's pretty much like playing the wine cellar all around the world. Yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. what. That's essentially <laughs> what I do. Yeah. Um, and then occasionally I get to do a support and yeah. play somewhere it, so, suddenly to a much larger crowd. Mm. But um, it, yeah. So we were doing a mixture of that. Um, but the, yeah, those house shows are great, and they do, the Americans drink a lot less than we do, Mm-mm. which is kind of charming. So you you go to a house, and um, no one will need to bring anything except. Um, some change and hopefully some money to buy some merch <laughs> and there'll be a there'll be a 24 pack of beers on the table yeah for everyone for everyone <laughs> <laughs> and when you were around that like you actually realize <clears throat> particularly when people have decided that they want to put a show on and see someone but when you're around that you realize that that's most of the time that's all that's required you know yeah. like yeah i was in the states in the middle of the year and yeah we're on holiday, so we, we, we drink regularly, you know, like yeah. most days, because we're not working. Yeah. But sometimes you just have one drink, sometimes yeah. you have two. Yeah. It wasn't like, let's see how much we can have each day because we're not working, which is kind of yeah. what it can be like here. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's was, it was nice, you know. You go, totally. to a, go to a bar and have a nice night out and have three drinks across a whole afternoon and evening. Yeah. And feel like you've had a really nice experience. Yeah. It's funny with the US. I, I realized when I was, I was touring with Nadia um, Reed uh, this year in Europe. Yeah. And it was my first trip to Europe. And it was really amazing to understand, uh, to see Europe f- from having never seen it before, but only, you know, living in a country with some European ties yes. and, then, and then visiting the US. And it made me realize that the US is as much influenced by continental Europe um, as it is by the you know the Commonwealth or thing, and I think their their drinking culture is um, some sort of inheritance from the European way of drinking. Like they'll think nothing of of drinking a bourbon at three p.m. in the yeah. afternoon, um, but then they'll only have one or two drinks <coughs> yeah, exactly. that evening. Whereas we've yeah. got the repressed Commonwealth. <coughs> if you start, you must carry on. Yeah, you, know, and you like... should never, and you should never start <laughs> in an improper time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and because when you start, you're gonna, yeah, you're gonna, you're gonna, gonna, really go you're gonna lose yourself. So yeah. you need to get your business done for the day. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. So what was what was it like playing in Europe, and what was it like playing with Nadia, watching what was happening to her? Mm. Um, it was great. It was, it was, it was really. Uh, it's just really nice and it was it was good for me because I've done I've now done by the, well, by the time I went to Europe I've done four tours of the US yeah and I've toured a lot in Australia and um, 
and in New Zealand, of course, more than anywhere else. But I'm pretty. I never wanted to be good at management and stuff, but now I'm yeah, you've become. I was going to say, so you've done this all yourself, and you've got to yeah. the point where, you know, you're actually organising tours for other people. Yeah, or, a little bit. Yeah. A little bit. Yeah. Or, or creating like shows, you know, where you're part of the bill. Yeah. And two or three other people are. And Absolutely. You, but you're yeah. running it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I've learnt learnt a little bit about running shows, and I'm pretty good at like knowing knowing the things that you have to do that that are that are going to give you the best chance of not having a nasty surprise. Yeah. Um, because your first tours are full of nasty surprises. Yeah, yeah. Financially, um, emotionally, ti- emotionally <laughs> because ti- of that because time time problems. Yeah. Missing shows, you know. So I I know what to do now. To prevent those problems so it was a really nice really nice timing um this year um to to work with nadia like i did the support for her but mm. i also um drove the vehicle and did the spreadsheets every night um and that combined with you know europe's always been this held out as this mythical yes. place for a musician because it's the one place that sort of treats musicians very nicely um well, so so we're told. Yeah. Um, but it was really wonderful to just to go around. Nadia's got this, um, you know, not in terms of how many people it translates to on the night. It's not that massive. But yeah. It's, she's got a crowd in every city. In yeah. Europe. Yeah. And and that's not to be sniffed at. You know, no, that's, not that's to be amazing. Yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. And um, and we had a hotel every night, and we had snacks when we arrived, and we had dinner. Um, yeah. So it was really luxurious, and to my great surprise, because I always, I started with the U.S. because I'm a little bit of coming from a history background. My history training was very anti-Eurocentric. It was reaction, right. reaction to Eurocentralism. Right. Um, so I wanted to go to the States because it was the new world, and I spent a lot of time um, working in the States because I feel like they share a certain something with us in our sort of mindset mm. um, but the, the place although that although maybe not next time you go there <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> but I although that's not true like the places you'll go the things you're yeah, doing the people you course. know that will be largely hopefully largely unchanged right yeah I think yeah. so yeah. Yeah. yeah as long as their spirit's not completely crushed I think that's the concern yeah and it won't be I mean yeah, um, yeah. yeah. It, I mean it, it's funny, I always thought the nastiest place that I would go, um, and this is probably very unfair, but it's, I, it would be the UK, because I just, a lot of my friends from Dunedin, you know, fueled by that same frustration with be, being in Dunedin, had moved to London, some yeah. of them were musicians, and London just sounded like a crushing, crushing place to be a musician. Have you not been to Hawke's Bay? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's unfair really actually they've got quite a great little music yeah, yeah, um, yeah. community going on it's, it's, just their, it's just their audiences I'm concerned about but yeah. the actual the uh, there's a lot of good music coming from there yeah and there's a lot of opportunities for them I think yeah yeah it's true um, so the yeah, UK but to my surprise the great thing about touring with Nadia was that um, her biggest crowd is actually in the UK yeah and so we were, we were treated as well as we were in the UK as we were in um and the continent but what was interesting in performance wise is you know there's always something new to learn 
performances, I found that I went, it was very easy and natural for me to do my thing in the UK. Um, and to my surprise, they're, they kind of they kind of act like New Zealanders essentially, except they're a little bit rowdier mm. um, at shows, which was really cool. But um, in a good way, like, in a good way, yeah, 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 really in a really good way. But um, such a thriving live music culture there, you know. Yeah, yeah. But on on the continent, I had to um, I it was had to learn new things about reading the audience, yeah. especially when. You know, they all, all speak such great English and they'll understand your banter, but they won't understand the lyrics. Yeah. Um, because yeah. when you sing, it's very different. It's, yeah. it's much harder to pick up a, a second language yes. in a lyric. Um, and I had to do a lot more uh, visual communication. So I had some shows where I felt like I'm just not, I just can't figure out how to communicate with this crowd. And that you're working, same quite, working quite hard, I imagine. To, to put that across too, so quite yeah. draining, draining afterwards. Yeah, yeah, and it took a wee while, but like by the end of the tour, um, had a had a really great show. And perhaps your lyrics, especially too, I think you know, might might create more opportunities of lost in translation. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yours are more, um, you know, not cliche general. Yeah, you know. Moon and June love lyrics, are they? They're more, you know, yeah. journalistic. Yeah, but then that's not to say that everyone picks up the lyrics on an no. uh, English-speaking show either. That's true. But, um, but what, you know, I did get um, interesting things out of it, like to a French-speaking audience, it can help to to just explain what the song is about before you play it. Yeah. And then they can kind of get the idea. Yeah, know? yeah, yeah. Or they can just... see, and they can see a kind of visual performance in their life. Yes. Um, so yeah, yeah. So I mean, yeah, it was great. It was great to get to do, and and yeah, it's amazing to see what's what's happened for um, for Nadia and to see her. Um, it's 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 really nice when when you catch her on a night where you see that she's. She's just had a bit of a vision, and she's yeah. figured out something new about the way that she's playing. It's great to see an artist, um, uh, bit by bit, grow into the mm. the big space that um, that they're going to be. You know, that's there for her. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. I I only met her the other day mm. when she came around for a chat, and um, I've still not actually seen her play live. But that record is as I said to you before we were recording that record is you know I already liked it and and tried to write something nice about it and kept listening to it and in the scheme of reviewing albums there aren't that many that once you're done with come back and this one's had like a huge second life for me where I can't can't stop listening to it now you know and really looking forward to hearing what the new one's like from her yeah there's that one track that's out that's amazing yeah, 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 yeah. Well, yeah. yeah, the songs, the songs are all great, and she was playing those songs on uh, yeah on, the on tour. that on that yeah. tour, and I was pretty amazed because she said to me, um, in between the tour that we did in New Zealand and the tour we did in Europe, she says, oh, "I'm going to record an album next week," and I was like, oh, "You haven't been talking about it or stressing out about <laughs> yeah. it or." You know, like you haven't even like on the tour that we did in New Zealand, she wasn't actually playing the new songs. Mm. I didn't know that she had a whole album written, 
but she did, and she said, no, I'm going to do it. Went down with her band at Beatty Woods for um, a couple weeks. Just done. I don't know that I've met someone that calmly, confident, and sure of themselves without yes. portraying any, even, you couldn't mistake it at all for any kind of arrogance at all, which you yeah. sometimes do with people. You think, yeah. oh, they're aloof. Oh, you know, again, a bit of a generalisation, but a bit of a Kiwi attitude to take to something like that. Oh, that yeah. person's hiding something. They, you know, they're a little yeah. bit too pleased with themselves. You don't get any of that at all. Yeah. But um, the material is just so fully formed, just yeah. so close to perfect. Yeah. With enough vulnerability and fragile, you know, fragile nature to the performance that you know enough tension. Yeah. For it to not be too slick. Yeah. It's uh, and it, it seems to me that she, you know, heard the be good Tanya's and a couple of other things, and it yeah. was like a wake up call. Yeah. And then she went off and did her stuff, and you could see, obviously, you could light it up and see how that makes sense, but it's not like she's ripped anyone or anything off. No. It's just that was like an awakening. Like, okay, yeah. I'm, I'm going to go and do my version of this. Yeah. And it was sort of almost all there inside her, and then. Yeah. So you know, hearing something gave gave her the nod to go off and pursue it. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah, uh, she's a very instinctual person, mm. and she and she knows um, that her instincts have have, uh, have produced great results, and so she trusts them. Um, yeah. And um, yeah, it's amazing. It's very different. Look, like I'm. I'm I'm the complete opposite. I've never I've never had talent. Don't trust yourself. I've never had talent or instincts, and so I've spent a lot of time working. But it has its own strange you'd results. Set, you'd settle for either. <laughs> yeah. And so, well, what's your writing process like, and what's it like currently? Like, where are you at? So you've you've so we'll go back a bit. Successor comes out. Yeah. And that you then do some more shows around that, but yeah that's successful to you you're pleased with that record oh, well yeah I it mean, got good reviews it well, did good shows well we really had to um, to re we really had to change everything and uh, you know it, that was me becoming a solo performer I was just going to say this is the definitive we rebranding or whatever like, yeah this is, this is the start of you as a solo and it was a, and it was a two year process of and I was doing all of these shows and I was coming back to the recording process after the shows, learning as learning about sonics. I'd never really thought very hard about sonics before, mm. um, but I was realizing that I had to start thinking about it um, and, and aesthetics yeah, as well. Ditch, you ditch any kind of hint of gimmick about, you yeah. know, as you say with the, the band name particularly and yeah. some of the early songs. There's a yeah. there's a gimmick there which is actually I I always thought quite charming, but yeah. but it's time to move on from that and that's yeah, what this totally. record does totally um, and um, and it was a long process and it was and it was a long recording process as well and at the end of it we ended up with this album um, and the, and I and I I had the album but it also had a sense of identity I'd grown I'd, gr- I'd figured out what I what I was in some some way or what um, what you know me as a musical persona was gonna was gonna be at least yeah. at that time, yeah. and um, and it was a great success for us. I mean, um, it it hugely grew my audience, and and then it, it got a release in the US, and the release allowed me to get a proper 
US visa, which I needed to, to go on tour there properly. Mm. Um, it's the first album I've done that had a worldwide release with proper distribution and things like that. And um, so it put the infrastructure in place for me to try to do this as a as a job, is try to get there. Yeah. Um, so now you're faced with the difficult second album. <laughs> well, as at, a solo. Well, at the same time, I guess <laughs> I, I feel like I've been fighting my whole twenties to. Um, to work out, I've always the thing that got me into this was writing. Yeah. And the thing that I've always wanted since I started writing was to treat it in a writerly way, to be yeah. to be like an author. And, um, and but the reality of being a musician, you just you spend a lot of time getting distracted or going on tour, or um, you can't. You can't have much of a routine, and um, and the and the songs, your attention span, you know, and you're dealing with the internet coming in mm. and growing and changing and and evolving right in front of you, and so I've I've really battled um, for a long time to figure out what is my writing process, but I think I'm getting there now. Like um, between, like I tortured myself trying to get those those songs finished for successor and I and I but I kept kept writing mm. um, throughout the process and um, where I'm at now is I'm at a point where I spend Monday and Tuesday um, writing or or developing an arrangement mm. um, around a song that that is nearly written mm. um, and then I and then on on Friday I go and do like kind of admin-y stuff mm. and I'm trying to get I'm trying to get another day but at the moment I'm getting two days and then I th of like pure sort of songwriting time and then the rest uh, the rest I have to go and do part-time jobs and make money and things like that mm. but um but as a as a creative uh, person as a songwriter that's seems like a pretty good way of shaping it like yeah you know like there's always going to be a payoff but that mm. seems like a pretty if you've got the discipline to yeah which i think you've clearly created for yourself and yeah. you know and, and and learn to follow well it's not discipline it's gardening it's so uh, the well, ga gardening is a discipline yeah well the, the problem was is that in the past if I'd had a day if I'd been able to say okay you've got nine to five yeah sit down and write a song um, I would have um, I would have nearly strangled myself by the end of the day yeah. because I'd be so um, frustrated by the the pressure of that and you know the, the song would end up coming at one at night or whatever mm -hmm. uh, you know um, but I've now gotten to a process where I feel comfortable and I can turn up to a studio at nine and go to a five and I'll be completely yeah. buggered. And the songs will come just as slowly as they always have, but I know that I'm getting something done by, um, mm, mm. by spending that time and I can do it. I'm becoming more routine based. I, I really liked the interview a couple of years ago that the New Yorker did with, um, Murakami. He says that as as my writings become better, I've become more boring. And and he he gets up at seven every day, yeah. goes for a long run, he writes until four p.m. Then he goes to bed, 
and and I think that's that's the end game for me is to get to a point where I'm spending a week your, just writing. You've yeah. got your version of that. That's, I mean, that's what I want to. I love performing, but that's and you know that's something that Mirakami doesn't have to do. But yeah, that's what I would like to do. I'd like I'd like to write and perform and, and get and get it to that simple, pretty much. Um, do you think your writing will move into other formats beyond the song? Do I don't. You... It's it's hard to say, but I I don't think so at this point. Um, okay, so that's still the focus. Yeah, because I mean, I that's the other thing. I got distracted. I got distracted when I moved to Auckland, and I think I think this is now like something that I would say to younger musicians is is that. Um, Make making music like do that. Like I, I got you know I did a little bit of music journalism. I did a little bit of journalism, journalism, and I did these things that I was okay at. Yeah. I I had it had some natural talent for for them, but not so much that I was amazing at it. Yeah. And also, I didn't enjoy it nearly as much as I enjoyed making music. Yeah. But if you're gonna do something like journalism, which is probably pretty hard to eke out a living from anyway, yeah. or, or if you have to choose one thing that it's gonna be hard to make a living from, just do that. Yeah, Don't, yeah. You know, and, and you, you may as well just get a job mm. in the other days that, that pays you a little bit better and you don't have to use your, use your brain. Yeah. Um, you know, so I mean, I, so I got, yeah, I, I thought about a lot of doing a lot of other things, a lot of different kinds of writing, but um, I'm now at a point where I'm, I'm satisfied that what I act, what actually gives me the pure joy is is writing the music. Yeah. And um, I try to do things that that use my brain in a very different way. Yeah. With for, for money. And as we sort of started to say earlier, you the. The new songs, some of which you played last night, are sort of uh, based around rhythms and samples and programming and yeah. different textures and colours. Um, you said at the end of the show, bye bye Wellington, I won't see you for a while. So what what are you off to do? Make an album? Yeah, I gotta make this album. Yeah, yeah, it's time now. The songs the songs are written and um, so you've got the material. You've got yeah, the full, yeah. I'm, I'm even part way into the tracking. Yeah. Um, and um, Jonathan, my producer, has, has heard the first um, bits of pieces and we're starting to throw on reverbs and things and get some idea of uh-huh. what it's going to sound like. Um, but it's, it's defi- it definitely feels like um, I've accumulated enough um, material and um, an idea of the sound. And, um, so that's my, that's my main focus now. Yeah. But um, yeah, I mean, focusing more on music as well, and, and stripping down my part-time work. Like as I've, you know, it's very hard to make more money per hour as a young person yes. nowadays. But you can gradually get your hourly rate up a little bit higher through the part-time jobs you do. And f- for me, instead of saving more money, you know, every time I've earned more money, in in the real world. Yeah. I've just dropped my hours. Yeah. So I've earned the same amount of money since I was nineteen. Yeah. <laughs> but now I only have to work a couple of days a week. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I can spend the rest of the you time. You know you can live on that. You know you can yeah. get by on that. Yeah. And you get to 
diversify your time. Yeah, yeah. And now, now it's about creating a a more streamlined focus for that time outside of yeah. work, work. And I think the consequence of that time is that I've I didn't know anything about electronic music. I didn't even know what an eight oh eight was mm, two mm, years ago. Mm. Um, and I've learned hell of a lot about that kind of stuff. And it just comes from having those days where you're just free to experiment and play. You know. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and so what's what's the what's the timeline for the record? Do you think like sometime in, in 2017? Well, you can never say. Yeah. <laughs> you can never. You just never know. Yeah. But um, I hope so. Yeah. I I I, ho- I hope it'll be um, in 2017. I uh, well, it's not going to be in 2016. I'll tell no, you. No, that. no, 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 no. <laughs> no. We can guess that. Um, and so, what else? What else is sort of like um, motivating you and and shaping you and influencing you at the moment? Um. Well, it's I guess it's really just those simple things. It's it's the um, it's the love that I have for touring and for performance, um, and and I do like the travel and reasonable doses. And then and then I, it's the love that I have for routine. I I love at the moment. I mean, twenty sixteen was a, was a horrible year, as we all know, but it was a great year for me because I I uh, you know I did three or four big tours. Um, I would go away for like a month and I'd live this this life where I'm I'm getting into more of a tour routine as yeah. well. I'm getting good at yeah, yeah. balancing mm-hmm. the driving and everything and, and the the performances. Um and I evolve through the performances, but then I can get to take what I've learnt from those shows, come back to Auckland and just set into a really firm routine where I Right on Mondays and Tuesdays, I cook on Wednesday nights, and yeah, and and I I love that. I love I love turning what I do into a into a, a boring job. It should be boring. <laughs> it, it should be boring so that the performances can be the exact opposite. They can be the excitement. That's yeah. what it's, that's what it's channeled into. Yeah, for that's me, that's what, it, what it's about. It's getting it's getting it channeled into that because I have. The amazing thing about performance is it's 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 I get it far more than my fair share of adrenaline. Like it's incredible that your body produces that much adrenaline. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so the rest of the time, it's very good for me. I'm I'm good just to <laughs> just to be doing a routine thing. Well, here comes Marion now.
can't explain it in person Marion, that's not a good sign I hate it People talk to you Like you've done something wrong So they can justify Treating you like a piece of shit Like the messiest kind of break up with the meanest kind of girl. Marion, it must be great to be a real estate agent. You decide who's good enough for the streets. That's not me. Great. 